Welcome to today's St. Paul's Church of the Voyager podcast. I'm Pastor Rob Fiesler, and I am glad that you are listening today. Well, um, today, as we all know, is the 21st anniversary of the most horrific act of terrorism ever perpetrated on U.S. soil. If on our renewal leave, Jenna and I had gone to New York City, it's very likely that we would have stopped at the 9-11 memorial. But as it was, uh, New York City was not on our itinerary. On the fourth day of our leave, we did stop at another memorial, the site of another horrific act of domestic terrorism. On April 19, 1995, homegrown terrorists blew up a truck bomb in front of the Alfred P. Murrah Federal Building in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. The perpetrators were hoping to foment a race war that would lead to the eventual overthrow of our government. These terrorists were influenced by something called the Christian Identity Movement, a racist and uh, theocratic system of thought that often undergirds white supremacist beliefs. That blast claimed 168 lives, including the lives of 19 children. 680 people were also injured in that blast. On Saturday, I stopped by the home of a couple of our church attenders who I knew uh, had been in Oklahoma City. They lived there, and they were on their way to the airport when that bomb exploded. And uh, the wife um, worked in a building just about a block removed from the explosion site, and she gave me um, a piece of the rubble uh, that she had picked up. And she said it was all over the streets of Oklahoma City. And it is really emotional uh, to hold on to this, knowing that it's not just a rock, that it's a piece of that building. It was also emotional to visit that memorial and to see the 168 chairs representing each of those who died, including 19 smaller chairs for the children who had been in the the building's daycare center. We were heartened uh, to see that the United Methodist Church, just across Uh, from the memorial had designated a a corner of its property as a place of prayer and reflection for people of any faith who visited that memorial site. And uh, these are the words that are etched upon the entrance to the memorial. Welcome here to remember those who were killed, those who survived, and those changed forever. May all who leave here know the impact of violence. 
May this memorial offer comfort, strength, peace, hope, and serenity. Knowing that the violence of 9-11 was perpetrated by Islamic terrorists, and knowing that those who bombed the Oklahoma uh, City uh, building uh, would identify as both Christian and patriot, I recalled the powerful insight of the Russian novelist Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who had been in prison for eight years in a Russian gulag for his criticisms of communism. Solzhenitsyn wrote, Gradually it was disclosed to me that the line separating good and evil passes not through states, nor between classes, nor between political parties or religions either, but through every human heart and all human hearts, your heart and mine. Now, as we announced throughout the, the summer, this is our first Sunday using uh, the narrative lectionary. For the first three Sundays this week and the next two, all of our readings come from the book of Genesis. Today's focus is the great flood, what we know of as the story of Noah. It is recorded in Genesis beginning in chapter 6, verse 5, and it runs all the way through chapter 9, verse 17. But the story of Noah actually continues uh, for a couple more chapters of the Bible. Now, I hope that you were able to read the selected passages on our narrative lectionary bookmark. Every week, you can read ahead. Uh, we also sent out a link on our daily text messages on Monday that take you straight to the readings. And we also provided a link of Todd reading uh, the actual passage, if you prefer to hear it read aloud. So that is a good reason. If you are not already signed up to get our daily text messages, this is another good reason to go ahead and sign up so that you can begin your week aware of what we'll be talking about next Sunday. Now, earlier uh, in, during the threshold moment, Todd read uh, how the, the story ends the story of the flood. I want to read for you how the story begins, uh, beginning in chapter 6, verse, verses 5 through 13. The Lord saw the wickedness of humankind was great in the earth, and that every inclination of, the th of their hearts was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that He had made humankind on the earth, and it grieved Him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out from the earth the human beings I have created, people together with animals and creeping things and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the sight of the Lord. These are the descendants of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God, and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And seemingly in a repetition, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. 
And God saw that the earth was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted its ways upon the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. Now I am going to destroy them along with the earth. Well, I think most of us know the basic contours of the story that follows. God has Noah build an ark in which Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their three wives can survive the coming flood. Now, this is why, by the way, baptismal fonts have eight sides to represent each of the people saved from the flood on the ark. So Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their three wives equals eight. God also has Noah, according to the story, gather two of every type of animal onto the ark. Though there's another part of the story in chapter 7, verse 2 of, of Genesis, where uh, God has Noah collect seven pairs of certain kinds of animals. Did you know that? It's not usually depicted, you know, in the illustrations that we see of the Noah story. Like, there's not seven pairs of bats flying around the ark. So just uh, something to know. Now, the nine uh, verses that I read give the reason why God has decided to start all over again, uh, particularly verse 5. The wickedness of humankind was great in the earth, and every inclination of their hearts was only evil continually. And then the most specific naming of what that evil is comes in verse 11. The earth was corrupt and was filled with violence. And that's the reason that, that God gives to Noah for his, uh, his decision to blot out the earth. He says, and God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. Now, this came to mind even as I was walking through the memorial in Oklahoma City. You know, I'm on renewal leave, but I know what I'm preaching about on, on September 11th. It came to mind how even though that memorial might help us know the impact of violence, God's plan to eradicate human violence by starting all over again with Noah and his family was clearly and tragically unsuccessful. So much for an all-powerful God. If we think of God's power as the ability to control outcomes, but maybe the way of God's power is different than the ways that we think of power. Now, we're going to come back to the question of God's power in just a moment, but I want to uh, highlight a couple of things that we may not notice in this story before we get there. And the first thing is in verse 6. 
The Lord was grieved that he had made humankind on the earth, and his heart was filled with pain. Now notice the juxtaposition. The earth is filled with violence. God's heart is filled with pain. What an interesting way to speak about God in a story as ancient as this one that had been told and told for generations even before it was written down. What is interesting is that in the ancient Near East, where stories like this were told in other cultures, the gods are always thought to be sort of unmoved by the behaviors and, and plight of human beings. They simply don't care. But this verse is asserting something very different about God. We're told that God is filled with pain and grief, that God is heartbroken over the behaviors of the human beings that God has made in His image, right? Indeed, the Hebrew word for grief that is used in verse 6 is asaf, and it is the exact same word that is used in Genesis 3.16 in talking about the pain that a woman experiences in childbirth. Interesting, the Hebrew writers were not concerned about that feminine attribute being attributed to God. As one scholar says, the God we find in this passage is not an angry tyrant, but a grieving parent. I hope uh, never to know what it feels like uh, to have a, a child who becomes addicted to drugs or is incarcerated or is uh, chronically homeless. But but I have certainly known church members and friends who have experienced that type of pain. And their typical response is, is usually overwhelming remorse. And they ask themselves a question. Where did I go wrong? And that's what this storyteller wants us to know about God's heart. God is a grieving parent asking, where, where did I go wrong? In fact, um, this is what distinguishes God from any of the other gods of the ancient Near East, and it's what uh, distinguishes God from the human creatures who are filled with violence. God is filled with pain and grief. Now, a second thing uh, to pick up on actually comes later. Uh, after the flood subsides, as, as Todd read earlier in the, um, in the threshold moment, in Genesis 8.21, God decides, never again will I curse the ground because of humankind? 
even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living things as I have done. Now, I should raise some questions that I can't get to, but, but can we grasp, you know, the weight, the significance of this statement from God? Never again. That even though the behavior, the violence, the, the cruelty of humankind remains even after the flood, something has changed within God's heart from before the flood to after the flood. You know, some people think of God as fixed and unchanging, but this story tells us about a revolution in God's heart. That though God's intent was to eradicate human violence, God will never act in such a way again, even as human violence continues unabated. So the focus, though, this is what we focus on, is it's not really the flood and it's not really the ark. The focus of the story, what the storyteller wants people to know is that God's heart has changed. And as a reminder, God uh, sets a rainbow into the sky, right? Now, the, the Hebrew word also means bow, as in bow and arrow. You know, and it's an arc, right? Like a, like a bow. And at that time, when the story is being told, right, a bow and arrow, a bow is the most technologically advanced weapons delivery system known to humankind. And so what God is doing is disarming unilaterally. That's what we're supposed to know. God chooses never again to use power in such a destructive way. You know, people often assert how human disasters, even acts of human evil, are somehow God's punishment for sin. Have you ever heard that? Some said that right after 9-11, right? That God permitted that to happen. And, and some people even convince themselves that their acts of violence, that their acts of terrorism are justified based on their twisted reading of religious texts. That was the case with those who perpetrated terror in Oklahoma City, and certainly also with those who perpetrated 9-11. But God's rainbow promise of never again suggests that this punishment for sin thinking really misses the mark because it doesn't take God's never again seriously. Which leads me back to the question of God's power. There's a strain within Christianity that uh, envisions Jesus coming back as a warrior. 
ready to destroy all of those who oppose him. And that cruel theology is sometimes wrapped up in terms like rapture and tribulation, which we have learned is a distortion of what Revelation is actually talking about. We learned that from uh, uh, Dr. Kara Lyons-Pardue from uh, Point Loma Nazarene University. Um, so, so what is a better way of thinking about this? Well, friends, just recall, uh, do you recall uh, how the crowd mocks Jesus on the cross? They, they tell him, save yourself. And, and the crowd wants... Jesus to prove himself, uh, to prove his power over those who are killing him, right? And, and I think we'd agree that if Jesus had acted sort of decisively, coming down off the cross and grabbing the centurion's sword and starting to hack away at people, that people probably would have been convinced, right, that Jesus was the Son of God. But Jesus doesn't respond to violence with greater violence. Jesus offers a prayer. Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Now, the way that I, I want to translate that is this. Father, forgive them, for they are out of their minds. Isn't that what happens in violence and rage? It, we know that from personal experience. When we get angry in sort of a, uh, an out-of-control way, usually when somebody cuts us off in traffic or something like that, we, we become insane. We lose our minds. Well, maybe I'm, I'm just talking about myself. Um, but, but that's what, what Jesus says from the cross. They're out of their minds. And the same God who grieves so deeply over the human violence that is on the earth in Genesis 6 grieves again over the violence that is inflicting this brutal death upon Jesus. Even so, God remembers the rainbow. And God says no to the crucifixion. And says yes to Jesus' prayer. That's what Easter is, my friends. It is God saying no once again to the worst evil that humans can perpetrate. the evil of hanging his son on the cross. And that is what we are invited to remember. Every time we see a rainbow and every time we see an empty cross, that God says no and responds instead with goodness and beauty and grace. This is the God that we really worship. Thanks be to God. Let's pray.
Holy God. Within the story of the Bible, there are texts that, that we don't fully understand. There are assertions made that we don't fully comprehend. But God, as we embark this year on this journey of knowing you through these suggested readings from now until Pentecost, help us to catch the thread that runs throughout Scripture the thread that tells us that you are a God who creates us in love, that you are a God that redeems us in love, and that you are a God who will sustain us in love. Because, God, that is the story that the world needs to know. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you.